welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by the TAC. The robe belongs to us all. My name is Alex Clements and a big thank you to the TAC for presenting this podcast but also supporting the very important message that if you're a cyclist, if you're a driver, if you're a pedestrian, we all play a role in ensuring that we reach our destination in a safe manner. Today on the podcast, we've got Jack Haig. You might recall uh, mid, oh, just after the Tour de France, we caught up with Jack to discuss his early departure from the race. He um, ca- was caught up in a crash on stage three, broke his collarbone in many, many, many places. Uh, and if you didn't listen to it, it's worth going back just to hear where he, where he came from. We were talking about how down in the dumps he was, how he was struggling just to kind of just to get back on track and get back on the horse. And then last night I caught up with him and he's sitting fourth overall at the Welter. He's really coming into his own in terms of leadership within that team uh, and he has an opportunity to race towards the podium in Madrid. A big thank you to our apparel partner, Map. I picked up a couple of new pieces of kit last week. One of them, the winter training jersey, which is exceptional. It's perfect for this kind of springtime weather. Uh, and if you do need any new kit for the spring or also just in general, Make sure you head to map.cc to check out their full range. A big thanks to the TAC for presenting this podcast and Map and Jack for staying up uh, to chat to us last night. Welcome back to the podcast, Jack Haig. It's great to have you on on the first rest day of the Welter uh, 2021. It, it doesn't seem like that, that long ago that we were chatting and uh, you were telling that yarn of how the surgeon had to go to the bone bank and fix together a new collarbone for you and now you're in fort now you're sitting in uh in gc contention uh what what on earth happened over the last two months um it does not feel like that long ago that we had this conversation to be honest and it really wasn't so i'm a little bit surprised but surprised in a good way that i'm sitting fourth in gc um the first rest there to welter because to be honest when i had the last conversation with you i really wasn't sure whether i was going to be able to make it here or not the recovery was going much slower than i expected and i think some of the team doctors and the surgeon basically had written me off the rest of the season so to be here and to be doing as well as i am uh yeah i think it just shows that i worked super hard during the period to come back as fast as possible Mm. we we were talking about like the the importance of uh, your support team and how you're going to get through the rest of the year and how you're going to be able to survive mentally, let alone race again. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I had a really good support team around me, to be honest, for that small period there, I was having uh, physio treatment basically every day, the day after I got home from the surgery, uh, he was coming to my house every morning for at least an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, for almost three weeks. And then I got straight back into the gym with a personal trainer and Andorra. And before I could move my shoulder, we're doing some just isometric work, just trying to keep everything there as strong as possible. Um, but it took me a long time to be able to get back some movement in my arm uh, just with the severity of the fracture. When, uh, when did it start to click that you like, oh, I could actually get back and do another race this year? Um, so basically the timeline was I had two and a half weeks where I almost couldn't ride the bike. I couldn't even ride the rollers because I couldn't move my arm enough 
and then I did half a week of rollers and then I got outside and I sort of did the first week of riding outside and I was like, oh, man, I'm creeping. Like, I'm going so slow because the last time I trained in Andorra was just before tour and I was going really well and then to sort of start back from a pretty basic level, I was like, well, maybe they're right. Like, it'd take me a pretty long time to get back. And then maybe after two weeks of riding outside, I'd slowly started to get my confidence back again. I was slowly getting a little bit faster and I still wasn't super convinced that I could come back to a high level, but I was like, oh, I could probably get back to racing and like get a few more race days in before the rest of the year and just sort of tick it over and see what happens. And uh, yeah, it wasn't kind of until maybe 10 days before Welter started that I was like, oh, I'm going right now. I might be all right for Welter. And then it was a pretty last minute decision for the team to bring me into the Welter here. And I think they also didn't really expect very much from me. They just wanted, like myself, me to get a grand tour in legs. So it was important to try and get uh, the three week race for next year. Um, mm. And yeah, just try and get the, the, the load in from racing grand tour and not really expect too much. Just come and try and do my bit to help Mikel Lander. He was coming here as the GC leader. Mm. Yeah. When um, a lot of, a lot of guys, cyclists especially, talk about like they're in good nick. It's one it's one of the few sports where you don't have like a season that you're good for for the entire thing. How, like yeah. how how dialed is your in good nick measurement at the moment? Like in terms of at this point in your career? Yeah. As it's evolved. To be honest, I'm still a little bit unsure. Like before the Tour de France, I was like, oh, I'm in good nick. Like I've done like some really hard training. I did Criterium Dolphine. I was good there. I've done some more altitude. Like I'm coming in, I'm feeling pretty good. But now coming into Welter, it's such a different preparation. It's such a different scenario. I sort of don't really have a gauge other than maybe yesterday's performance on stage nine. Mm. And if I was to gauge off that, I was like, huh. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty good, Nick, I guess. But it's yeah. kind of a bit more of like a shock rather than a confidence thing like I had before the tour where I was like, all right, I'm going good. I'm kind of like, huh. Yeah, right. That was all right, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And does that like, because so over um, that two-month block between you crashing at the end of the tour and getting to where you are today, are, are you dialed? Like are you doing every, are you, would you say that you've done every single thing that you could possibly do to get to the nick that you're in today? I would say to this point, yes. So the way I kind of see it is every single year you'll always find a different way of improving or you always find a way of just refining everything a little bit. So like last year I would say, ah, I worked super hard to get to a certain level. The year before that I worked super hard. But each year you find small areas that you can improve. So I would definitely say I did everything I know up until today of how to arrive here at the best possible shape that I could. Like I was explaining about the physio and the strength and conditioning training, the, I worked super hard with the nutrition to make sure I was giving my body everything possible to heal the bone as quickly as it could, because that was kind of the, the decision that would have kept me out of the welfare team was if the bone hadn't started reforming itself and healing correctly to a high enough level, then it would have been too risky for me to race here. So 
I was trying to do everything possible to facilitate the healing of the bone and then to try and facilitate the adaptation to the training that I was doing. And yeah, I'd say I was pretty refined down to what would make me better. Mm. So you go home today and you go, even if it goes pear shaped tomorrow, you know that you've done every single possible thing that you could do. That's yeah, something. basically. So like when, when I lined up here, I was obviously a little bit uncertain of the condition, but I knew the condition I had was the best possible condition I could arrive here with. Hmm. If that makes sense. Like I, I wasn't super confident, but I knew I hadn't really left anything on the table when I was at home. Was there anything unique with the bone and the, and the importance on the bone healing? Not really. It was just trying to stay on top of sort of the, calorie consumption because if you're restricting the calories while you're, you're repairing the bone, I think we saw something similar with uh, Remco where he had to have some more time off the bike at the very beginning of this year because he tried to lose some weight while his pelvis was healing. And I didn't follow his story super closely then, but I, I remember that being in the media of cycling news or something. And it was something I was quite conscious on to make sure I was fueling my body adequately to repair the bone and also just stay on top of some basic supplements like fish oil, vitamin D, calcium, and just the basic stuff to make sure that it was uh, healing as fast as possible. Mm. If you, do, you, do you work with your own nutritionist to build that or how, like how do you manage that plan and that, that, um, that piece of it? Because I, I just, I know it's a, it seems like it was a long, long time ago now when we were racing Jack, but that was the piece that was missing. It was like, it was so hard to measure and track and get that weight and diet and nutrition dialed. Yeah. It's a, the nutrition side is quite a strange side of cycling because we have such a high calorie expenditure on the bike with not so much muscular load, say with like, Running, running, you you're breaking down the muscle from the impact of the, the motion of running. Whereas in cycling, it's not such a high impact sport, so you can really do a massive calorie expenditure, but you're not that physically sore. So then the next day you can also do it again, and the next day you can do it again. So you can really dig yourself a massive hole. Whereas like if you're running, normally you'll get an injury before you can dig yourself a massive hole just because the body starts to break down too much. So I think there's still a lot of ways to go in refining nutrition and cycling, but we're seeing more and more now teams taking a bigger focus to it. I think one of the teams that has maybe the highest focus is Jumbo Visma, and you can really see that in the performance jump they made in the last two or three years. They obviously have a partnership with Jumbo, which is a supermarket in Holland, and they're refining their nutrition down to, I think, probably the best in the world tour peloton and then for myself uh in bahrain we have hired a new nutritionist for this year they uh they hired him from astana he was working in astana there and he was working quite closely with Jakob Fulstein. and i think if you go back to maybe two years ago you can read some articles about Jakob talking about how he'd improved by eating more and uh, marcel the nutritionist in bahrain was helping me quite a bit through this period. But also now this is my sixth year professional. And each year you just learn a little bit more about your body and learn a little bit more about how to get yourself in that good nick 
like we're talking about and mm. the things you need to do to get yourself there. But I'm also quite lucky that uh, my wife is studying uh, nutrition at the moment. So she also helped a little bit with some of the supplements to take and some of the guidelines. Nice. Bring the nutrition in-house. Exactly. <laughs> um, that makes it a bit easier when you're at home. The, the first couple of stages, talk, talk to me about how that – because we – Let's let's also note that we didn't just start the race um, coming off a major injury. We started the race as second or third in line for the GC. Yeah, yeah. So the team that Bahrain took to Walter is a super strong team. Like we have Emiliano Caruso, he was second Giro d'Italia stage winner at Giro d'Italia. We have Walpole's KOM jersey wearer, real big animator of Tour de France, Michael Lander. I don't know how many times top five, top 10 in Grand Tours and finish on the podium once before. Then we have Gino Mata, up and coming, climbing superstar who won a stage of Giro d'Italia, top 10, Paris Nice. Uh, Mark Padoon. Like we have a pretty oh, stacked field coming in. The strongest team of the year, actually, that they've assembled. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Um, the and I think I was the 18, yeah. I was coming in kind of in that fourth or fifth position because everyone was a bit uncertain of how my condition was going to be. And then we started off with that 7 or 8K prologue or TT, stage one. And I did much better than expected. And I think like a few of the, the staff and the management were like, huh, wow, that's a good TT. Maybe we got something good here with bringing Jack. And then we went on to one flat stage and then we had pick on Blanco the first uh, mountaintop and sort of the team plan was just to try and get as many guys up the climb as fast as possible and have as many options on GC going into the rest of the first week. I personally had a bit of a shocker that day. I lost, I think maybe three and a half minutes or something. And I was disappointed. I thought, I'd arrived in better shape than that result suggested. But on the other hand, I was like, well, it's not surprising. Like I broke my collarbone maybe six weeks ago. Like maybe this is my level. Like no one would be surprised if that's the performance that I had in this welter. And I was around that sort of like 20th to 30th GC sort of climbing person. Like oh, maybe that's it. Um, and then I kind of switched my, my thinking from trying to, do a good race personally to focus on Mikel and just try and do my best for the rest of this first week and the rest of Welter helping uh, the team. And that's kind of what I uh, sort of conveyed to the management that, oh, look, guys, I don't think I have the level strong enough to really fight for any GC position. Like maybe I can try to get a few breakaways and I'll just do my best to help Mikel. Um. Did you have an inkling? Like, did you did you have a thought in the back of your mind when you started that opening TT? It's like, oh, I, I could do well here. Like, I was. Oh, we yeah. we talked about the nick you're in at the Tour de France, career best career best form. Um, yeah. Was there something in the back of your mind that went, you know what? Let's see how this goes. I could be on here. Yeah, definitely. Like, I always wanted to think more positive than negative, and I knew I'd. Like we spoke about before, I knew I'd done everything possible to arrive at the start in as good possible nick as I could. But I still hadn't had any test against anyone else in a race leading up to the welter or anything like this to actually know how well I was going. I was like, ah, maybe I could be going right here. 
like mm. maybe I could do like a top 10 GC and help myself. But I didn't, I didn't really convey that to anyone because I was so unsure about it. But in the back of my mind, I was always like, ah, I'll give it a go and see what happens. Uh, uh. And then like, I did a write in that first uh, prologue and I was like, huh, maybe I am. Yeah, I'm going right here. But then I kind of yeah got put back on back to my place after the stage three climb. I was like, ah shit. Yeah. Maybe I'm not really that good. <laughs> it's a mental roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. And so like so then stage three, four, five. <clears throat> excuse me, you're just you're just doing the job. You just want to So then then we had uh we had a, a relatively easy sprint stage and then we had stage six we had that two kilometer quite steep uphill finish and we had some crosswind action after we got out of the valencia city there we did this little loop and i tried to do a lot of work and help Miguel as much as possible in this crosswind section try and protect him and riding in the wind and doing doing what i thought was a pretty good job for him and then we kind of got to the bottom of the the 2k climb and I was in front of Mikel and he was in a slightly bad position I hear on the radio, like, ah, oh, Jack, wait, like, oh, sit up a little bit, wait for Mikel, try pacing a little bit up the climb. Got to like 1K to go, he passed me, went up the road. And I almost set up, I was like, ah, oh, job done. Like, I'll just cruise in for the rest here, save the legs for the coming days to help him. And I was like, ah, oh, it's only 1K. Ah, oh, I just go to the top. And then I only end up finishing maybe four or five seconds behind Mikel. Like, huh. Maybe the legs aren't that bad. I think quite a bit of work in the wind, I think, before we got to the bottom of this climb and I wasn't that far back. And I always knew, like, after I lost the three or three and a half minutes on stage three, that stage seven and stage nine were going to be super hard and a fight for the breakaway. And I remember having a phone call with my wife and saying, ah, I reckon stage seven, like, I'll try getting the breakaway. Like, I'll have a crack here. And, uh, yeah, it happened to be correct and stage seven started off super hard it was a massive fight for the breakaway and me and caruso were kind of going one twos following moves at the start and i managed to find myself in in the right move and there was 25 or 22 of us up the road with uh some teams with multiple riders in them and i didn't really get a good stage as well i think i was maybe fifth or sixth on the stage or something like this because uh michael storer and Pavel Sivakov and Lawson Craddock went up the road. But it was a hard day. I kind of finished that stage and I was like, huh, I don't feel too bad here. That was all right. I started talking to some of the other teammates and like, oh, hard day today. I was like, oh, yeah. Because that climb was, was right. ridiculous. Like, Yeah, yeah that, that was mighty steep, that climb. Right. And, yeah, I was kind of there about in the group that I was in with uh, Felix Proshnada, Roman Bade, Sepkos, uh, and uh, someone else. I just couldn't follow Seth in the last like, 400 meters of the steep part, but I was up until that point, not too bad. And then when Seth jumped away, I was like, oh, I don't have acceleration. But up until that point, I was like, ah, I'm not too bad here. Like, maybe I can make something of this. And then we ended up finishing quite a bit in front of the main peloton and moved myself back up into the top 10 on GC. I'm like, huh, all right, let's see how this goes. Um, I still wasn't super confident. Like, ah, oh, we'll go into stage nine and just see what happens. Like, stage nine is a proper, proper test. Like, we've got a 30-minute-plus climb to finish. And if if I lose three, four minutes on the climb, ah, no worries. I'll just go back to helping Mikel. But 
if I can be up the front there, maybe maybe we can make something good of this Walter. And I ended up panning out pretty good. So yeah, let's talk let's talk stage nine. Yeah. Um what? like a wild stage, first off. Yeah. Like Yeah. How can can you put into words how hard that is? Like how hard that day is. So, to put it in perspective, I think we did it in just over five hours, like five hours ten or five hours fifteen minutes. And I think I burnt close to five thousand kilojoules. Or so it worked out to be roughly like five thousand calories or five thousand kilojoules of, of energy. And I think if you go out and do a normal ride as a as a punter or a recreational rider, you might do between four and 6,000 kilojoules per hour. So we averaged close to 280 watts for five hours. And the final climb was about 400 watts for over 30 minutes. And all day was just on the pedals. It was super hot as well. Like I think I can't remember how many bottles of water I went through, but it was so many bottles of water, so many... Uh, so many blocks of ice to put down the jersey and try and keep cool. And it was, I like those days. It was a proper battle. Like it was, it was a war of nutrition out there and just everyone just slowly getting worn down, slowly getting worn down until we got to the bottom of the final climb. And then, yeah, all action happened. When um, Ineos are riding like in those, on those earlier climbs, how hard is, how hard is it at that point? Um, when they first start, this gets a little bit grippy and you're like, ah, oh, it's a bit of an uncomfortable pace. Like we only slowed down for maybe 20 minutes here. Like would it be nice to have a bit more time to refuel a bit, have a quick pee and get on. And then you're like, ah, oh, this is annoying. And then it's just like that slowly wears you down. And then each climb closer to the finish, you just get a little bit harder, a little bit harder. And then on the third last climb, which was quite a long one, they sort of really ramped it up in some of the steeper sections. And I was like, oh, like pretty solid, yeah. And you saw the group got whittled down, I think maybe to 30 guys. And then uh, they slowed down a little bit once the gradient got a little bit easier and a few more guys came back. But yeah, it's, it's hard, but I was never super concerned about getting dropped or anything like this but it's hard enough to, to whittle down the peloton of 160 or 180 guys down to 30. What what kind of what did you climbing at? I reckon those early climbs is probably like around between 340 and 360. Yeah. And then they, you'll do some some spikes on some of the steeper sections up to like 400 for 10 minutes-ish. Yeah. So coming into the last climb, you've got Caruso going wild off the front, just doing wow. ridiculous things. <laughs> um, and yourself and Lander in the group. What 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 was the message at that point at the bottom of the climb? So already before we got to the final climb, I could just see Lander wasn't having such a good day. And he just wasn't super comfortable in the peloton. And I sort of had a bit of a chat with God. You're right. It's like ah. Not that good. I was like, oh, okay. Like, uh, we had also Mark Padoon and um, Wout Pauls in the group, and their job was to stay with Mikel on the final climb and just try and pace him as much as he, they could. And then I had a bit of a free roll with Gino. And yeah, obviously, we had Damiano up the road just going mental. 
yeah. 71k solo. <laughs> so I'd kind of forgotten about that. I was like, oh, mate, just go for it. Have a stage win. Like, <laughs> is, it hard about to, him. is it hard to convey that message of like, how are you going? Like, does that, is that hard to converse with international riders and say just like, how are you going, mate, and have a frank conversation about it? Well, it's not. It's a pretty, pretty basic, simple conversation, and I did it in Spanish with him. I just asked him in Spanish how he was going. He's like, ah, not so good. I was like, ah, oh, that's all you need to have. That's all you need yeah. to have. It's just that couple of words. How you going? Not good. All right. Does the Spanish <laughs> does the Spanish get you more clout? A little bit. He speaks incredibly good English, so I don't speak Spanish with him very often. But um, in sometimes those harder moments, I feel like it's maybe a little bit easier or more polite to have the conversation. Yeah. And when it's so basic like that, it's pretty easy for me to have it in Spanish. Um, so then the climb. You know yeah. you know Landa's not feeling super what what are you what are you thinking at the time as well? So I, I basically just forgotten about Landa. I was like, right, I'm just gonna do my own race now. We got twelve and a half Ks or thirteen Ks of this climb. I'd done it before in 2017 Welter. I knew it was super long and I knew the bottom half was the steepest. And if you went too hard at the bottom, you'd probably suffer quite a bit by the time you sort of got to the, the upper sections of the climb. So Ineos did some pacing at the bottom. They went pretty hard with Pavel Sivakov. He set a pretty, pretty hard tempo. And then Adam Yates attacked with like nine Ks left of the climb. I was like, whoa, pretty early. Oh, big attacks too. Yeah, yeah, big attacks. And he took with him like Rodlich, uh, the two Movistar guys, Enric and Lopez. I was like, oh shit, like, I don't want to be going this hard so early in this climb. Like, we've still got at least 20 minutes left. And then Gino came up to me and set a really good tempo and just slowly clawed them back, slowly clawed them back. And I was sort of speaking to him, like, no stress, mate. Like, just steady away and we'll catch them back. Like, they can't sustain this. It's not possible. So I finally caught them back. Uh, we're maybe at eight or seven Ks to go. Again, another big attack. And again, I let them go. Gina was there, did the tempo back to the group. And then we had quite a big slowing. You kind of maybe saw it on TV that the group sort of fanned across the road. We had the last bit and point on the side of the road, which is perfect. I got some ice. I got some cold water. Tipped the cold water over my head, put the ice down on my jersey, trying to keep the core body temperature a little bit lower because it was pretty hot in the climb. And then uh, at this point, I knew that the next attacks, I probably need to follow. Like, we're only getting to 5K to go here, 4K to go. Like, it's probably time to, to dig deep and follow some moves. And again, I think it was Enric and um, Rodlich clipped off the front. And then Adam followed with Lopez. And then I followed uh, Bernal back to the Adam and Lopez group. And Rodlich and uh, Enric were on another level. They were super impressive, actually. Uh, they were climbing super fast. And then, yeah, it was just a group of five of us. Me, Lopez, Adam, and Bernal, four. And I knew that we probably should try and distance one of the Ineos boys because otherwise they'd probably one to us and work me and Lopez over. So I tried to do a bit of an attack and distance Bernal eventually. And it was just uh, me, Yates, and uh, Lopez to the line, basically. And I tried one more attack, but I couldn't get any distance. And then it was just kind of race to the line. Yeah. And you confirmed that you're in good nick. Yeah. 
So that was basically the goal of the day. I was like, well, I'm climbing with some of the best guys in this race. So, I mean, half decent Nick and let's just see what happens from now on. So is the team riding for you now? What's, what's, what's the messages around the team camp? So we haven't had this meeting yet. We're going to have it uh, this evening. But, yeah, I assume that they'll sort of switch focus a little bit to looking after myself. But I also think that the team that we have here, we have such strong riders that we can try it for breakaways like Damiano did the other day. Uh, hopefully, Mikel can recover a little bit and he can also fight for some breakaways. And then we have myself and Gino still up there on GC. And then Walt can be obviously a class bike rider and yeah. help there in the last like week and a half. <laughs> There's so much depth. Yeah, we're pretty lucky to be honest. We have such a good team here. How like when you when you see Roglic go? Oh, and Mass yesterday. Like, are they just on another planet? Like, how, yeah. how do you how do you get to that step? I don't know, mate. They were mighty impressive yesterday, and the accelerations that Roglic can do in the saddle. Like, I couldn't. There's like I couldn't even think about following it. Like, I could. I don't think I could follow it and then just sit up. Like the speed that they go is unbelievable. Um, and chapeau to them. They're, they're some of the best bike riders in the world. And I think Rodlich is going to be super hard to beat in this welter, especially with the final time trial. For sure, we saw how much better he was than everyone else in Tokyo when he won the TT yeah. in the Olympics there. So it's 33 kilometers on stage 21 and he's going to put minimum a minimum a minute into everyone else, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you train for that? Like, can you can you train yourself? To just, like, it seems like they're like sprinting. Yates Yates looked superb yesterday, but obviously yeah. paid the price for his efforts early. But for Rog to like be composed, he's got the jersey, he's got the team. His team doesn't look super duper strong like they have previously. Um, and then just to be able to punch across those moves and deliver day in, day out. It's, it's unbelievable. I think, I think this is a confidence thing. Like, Rodlich has been up at the front of these grand tours now for maybe three years. And I think with that comes confidence that he, he doesn't panic and he sees the situation, he can assess it and be like, right, I got this, I can close that. I've done it before. I've done it in the tour. I've done it in the world before. Like, boom, just snap across and get up the road. Hmm. Yeah, and just the ability to go so deep and then be able to settle back into that threshold issue. That's pretty impressive. And I think that also comes a little bit down to genetics. When you start becoming that good, he is maybe born with a very good ability to metabolize the lactate because he obviously goes into quite a big lactate in the legs when he does those big spikes and then his body's able to clear that lactate at quite a high threshold. And I think, yeah, it's, it's trainable, but trainable to a certain extent. And I think when you see a guy like him, he's so good. And I think a little bit of that comes from genetics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like, what, are you, are you thinking about ways that you can conquer Roglic? Like, how, how, how do you beat him? At the moment, not really. He's uh, he's probably on a level a little bit too high for me. And to be honest, I'm just trying to think about staying as high up on GC as I can and 
if I can finish top five, I'd be incredibly happy. If I was top ten, I also wouldn't be disappointed. But obviously, I'm not that far away from Lopez. So I'm just going to try and keep an open mind and see what happens. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, what do we need? What do we need to watch out for in the 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 back end of the welter? What are the key stages that we need to hang hang in uh, for the early hours of the morning in Australia for? Uh, the final week is full of key stages. The final week has some super hard climbs. There's a, I think a new one that welter's never done. I can't remember which stage or the name of the climb, but it's in the final week. Super steep climb, similar I think to the Angler route. Mm. Um, and I think the ones that actually concern me the most are these more like transitional ones because when we're in the mountains, the team I have here is so strong and it's sort of the terrain that we can control the most. Whereas it's these like transitional flatter stages where you can have crosswinds, where you can have a crash or these like little tiny tricky finishes that you can have uncontrollable time loss. And they're, they're the ones that scare me the most, but they're probably not the most interesting ones to watch. Yeah. Oh, if it gets windy, it's good. It's good oh, yeah. at home. It's Special good at home. Always good. <laughs> I just love I just love it. Seems like every time that we finish finish on a hilltop, which is the majority of stages, um, yeah. it's like, oh, they the pay the they pave the road an extra five hundred meters so they can go higher up the climb. Oh they love well, fresh so pavement. notorious. They love fresh so notorious for finding these like little goat paths like the uh, stage seven was just this miniature goat path with Brand new hot mix, just welter. <laughs> well, Jack, it's um, great to see your progression back from a uh, very disappointing end to your Tour de France campaign. It's great to see you back on the horse and uh, back in the mixer on the GC front. We wish you all the best for the rest of the welter. Thank you, mate. And uh, thanks to everyone staying up and uh, supporting me. I really appreciate all the support back in Australia and uh, always good to have a chat. Thanks, Jack.